Thank you for joining The Bevel Talk, Season 16, Episode 3, What is NDT? Today, we're talking with Kim Hayes, the founder and president of Valkim Technologies. You can learn more about Kim and her business from the link in the description below. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to Bevel Talk. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're back with Kim Hayes of Valkim Technologies. Kim, how you doing? Very well, thank you. Good. So I want to get into some details about the different types of NDT and inspection. Mm -hmm. uh, some of our listeners might be very familiar with it. Some of our listeners might not even know what half the acronyms we've talked about are. So let's sh shed some light on that for them, um, help them understand, help me understand, educate me so I can go better, be better prepared as I go out in the field and talk more. Well, the way I, um, it's funny because when you're, people ask you, what do you do? You try to tell them it's kind of a, you, know, you think of the elevator pitch, right? Um, mm -hmm. So when you think of NDT, I always like to akin it to like the medical industry. So you, you, there's, you know, UT, RT, and in the medical you have MRIs and different other modalities and PET scans. But the whole decision factor is based off of what you're looking for and what you're looking through is why you choose you know, radiography over ultrasound. If you're looking through, you know, uh, gallbladder, you're not going to use x-ray, you know, or stuff. You're, you, you choose the right modality for the right target and the right specimen or base material. So in NDT, I always like to summarize it in the fact that you got, you know, your primary five, you've got your surface and methods, and then you've got your volumetric. And so when you think surface, you've got the, the older ones and the, the very dependable ones like mag particle and liquid penetrant mag. You, you basically create a, a flux or you, like use a yoke. When I was a kid, I don't know if you remember those little clowns where you'd put the beards on them with the magnets and the iron shavings, right? So yes, you pretty much do the same thing when you create a current inside the metal and are the material and the particles collect just like there when they're drawn with the flux leakage and you get an indication, but it's not digital. It's gone when you blow, you know, demag it um, unless you take a picture or some other alternatives and it's very subjective in a way. Then you've got penetrant, which is for non-ferromagnetic, which is a chemical process. You basically, I don't know if you've ever seen a straw in your glass and sometimes it leaches up the side of the straw higher than the surface level of the, of the beverage. Mm -hmm. And that's due to the surface tension leaching it or, 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 um, you know, up the, up the, uh, up the, um, a straw. So it kind of does the same inside of the indications. And then you usually use a powder and it, it, it does the opposite, like a sponge draws it with, um, to the surface and that, that too is visible and in where it is and pretty intuitive. Right. Uh, but still no records. And, but it also is very good for complex geometries and but you do have even in a residue when you clean it off unless you you know really go to a full detail and from welding both of those probably should be pretty familiar and from the penetrant side it's often the visible penetrant which there's usually sensitivity levels um and but most common it's an aerosol you know visual inspection method for mag and a ac yoke and you know, fluorescent or black and white for, for the welding. Then you got the, uh, another eddy current or another surface inspection method, which is eddy current, 
Um, it's digital. It's basically, you know, kind of like when you throw a pebble in a pond, you get those eddies. You get that kind of flux indu- induction in there and you get this uniform disruption and, and like a spike in your current. So it's a little bit more not intuitive as much as the other two methods. Got its certain conditions and limitations. Um, you do have a digital print to it. And there is a lot of activity now, um, Eddy Current in lieu of MTPT. We, I was on that standard with ASME. And uh, it's gaining gaining uh, access in there, especially for like stress corrosion cracking and things like that. But then in the volumetric, you have two primaries. It's MAG and PEN. I mean, uh, UT and RT. And they usually stand on opposing opposing sides. But in all actuality, like I was saying earlier, they there's value in both. They all have their place. So ultrasound, conventional. So imagine if you're standing there and you have a, a ball and you bounce it on the ground. You know how long it takes for it to return. You step up to the table and it comes back faster because you hit a front wall reflector. So that it's an acoustic representation of like the ball goes in. Um, if you're doing zero degree, it just goes straight down and comes right back up, right? And that gives you your thickness of your material. And you're doing it one crystal and you're doing that time of flight from when it leaves and you get your front wall reflector and back wall. You can know how long it takes, what's the velocity of the material. So therefore you can assume it's this thick because it took this long for the sound to come back. And then you can actually make, take that and take from a, just a thickness measurement and you can add multiple of those piezoelectric crystals. And as we were saying earlier, you can do what's called phased array where you pulse sequence a certain amount of those elements in a delayed fashion. So you kind of push the front leading edge of the waveform in an angle. And so it's kind of like you're bouncing the ball against the wall, right? And so imagine if you're coming in from the side of a weld, you're bouncing it in, you're going to get that lack of sidewall fusion, where otherwise if you're doing like an x-ray, where you're doing a density difference, sometimes that distance or that volume differential between the that lack of sidewall fusion that's present easily detected with ultrasound can be missed because the d- density difference isn't significant enough. But then on the flip of that, like porosity, um, X-ray is really good at noticing those air voids because there was that density absorption delta that was significant enough that says, yeah, I see it very clearly. Um, but ultrasound, imagine trying to bounce a ball against a round object. It, it's hard to predict where that reflector sound is going to come back. So it's, you know, there's there's pros and cons on both sides. And I hope those were visuals that kind of give um, a little bit of the distinction. I think there is room for both. Um, uh, I do think that we could try to find opportunities to inject phased array in lieu of RT. And I, I say this mainly because even recently I was looking at some initiatives from the DOE where they're seeking to, you know, mitigate radi- industrial radiography due to um, weapons of mass destruction concerns. You know, there's there's things that go with that when those little sources are sitting on the back of a truck going all over the country. Things can happen and if we could just do ultrasound, nobody can get hurt by that. But there's considerations. So we mean to, but we need to learn together. And the welder needs to know how to understand that that metrics is finding that what they're used to being 
measured against, plus maybe some things that they hadn't noticed before. Weld preheating can send costs and schedules out of control. Harness the heat with ArcReach heating systems from Miller. This induction heating equipment uses alternating electromagnetic currents to generate heat in workpieces, so welders can do their own preheating quickly and safely. For more information on induction heating, visit MillerWelds.com induction. There's definitely more factors than just one or two that go into to this whole question of how how do we do NDT the best way that we can, and it it's just a very complex situation, and and like you said, knowing the best tool to use for the at the time for the objective is critical, mm-hmm. and. I think there's a a general lack of knowledge about NDT in the industry. Not that they don't know about it. They've heard about it. They might've seen it, but they don't, I don't know that people know the limitations of one, um, one method over the other. And so there's a lot of questions and a lot of gray area that should be fairly transparent if we, if we were able to understand it and, and know why and how. How do we change that? Though? That's the, the thing. I know, like, I, I love the um, Miller Tech Center that you have in Houston. And, you know, it might be nice if there were more conversations where we show the welders what, what it is a little more. I know when I was there that we had that little video and we were trying to do some of that. But I do think it's an active effort as a, as a society globally, but let's, let's start in our own backyards first, but let's figure a solution. How do we do that? It's an interesting question is, is how you do that. Cause there's some people out there. Uh, it's going to pass visual. I don't care how they do it. I don't mm-hmm. care what they do to it. I welded it well and it, it shouldn't is going to pass. And then there's other that want to understand well, you saw a defect or you saw something that gave you a pause or a question. What what was it? Show me. Help me understand. And I think there's a difference in mentality and perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not close enough to the boots on the ground anymore to know the answer to that problem. And I, I, I think... I, you know, it's hard to get into the whole philosophical side of things, but even that that one project that I mentioned, the phase during in little of our team, um, you know, we have to do this for things we're planning on five years from now because that whole feed and design was done years prior before an arc was struck, you know. Um, so, you know, the, the, the ship left the, the dock at that time, and here, and when I went back to the trailer, where the inspection, there were like six guys and they had three shots to do the whole day. So if you look at the whole productivity, we have a, we have a huge problem in industry where you have construction on one side and you have integrity management on the other. So upfront construction, they're like trying to make sure they get it done on time, low, below budget, ready to turn the keys over. And then when the keys are turned over, they're like, holy heck, you know, I mean, um, 
there's things that, that would have been better um, if the two sides had spoken and it's, you know, that whole not my problem type thing. And once the economics really get looked at for the collective whole versus my own little sandbox, I think that bigger picture comes along. And um, I think it becomes a um, code of ethics that, that needs to be instilled um, for both sides. Not uh, because when the welder gets kicked off because one, you know, one bad shot would, you know, he didn't have the chance to understand what was going on. And, you know, maybe the welder, maybe the NDT was wrong too, but there needs to be, um, it hurts the whole project to try to bring another person on. If you look at the long game. So some of those thresholdings may need to change, but that both sides need to really start to learn. And then we actually elevate it all together. But uh, you know what's just, interesting here is, is you know, you said take the, the bigger picture, the, the the holistic global perspective. So if you think about it, look and look into from just the welding perspective of, of the job side of the job to be done, right? But then you have all the other trades, all the other things that are going on that are facing similar type of labor shortages that, that we are in welding, similar type of productivity constraints, similar types of technology changing, that this is a big elephant mm-hmm. right it's it's welding in and of itself is a big part of how how we change it but it's it's construction industry it's fabrication it's manufacturing as a whole how do we continue to improve and adapt in this in this global market and technology mm-hmm. adaption adoption from a principle standpoint, I really do believe when I went to work at the ITW oil and gas um, group where we focused in that kind of a broad spectrum portfolio, I think it was a little before its time and, you know, um, in that the industry wasn't ready to really have these heartfelt conversations. I think now might be a different time because um, when you're really invoking a level of change and looking at innovation and looking down the road, you know, you got to have those stakeholders and what I like to call the top down, bottom up type conversations where you have um, the, the asset owner in the room saying, yeah, this is what I want to have my my operations running like this. And then you have to have the EPCs and they're not, they're looking at the bigger picture of, oh yeah, well, if I use RMD, I can do this, or here's, you know, low hydrogen for the long haul, this is that, you know, and sit there and talk through the whole project before they become any, you know, any executables. And we need to be having that now. And I, I truly do believe um, that that could, that re, that kind of mentality that was being executed a couple of years back would really do well right now and um, change the whole paradigm. So like even right now, I do a lot with um, robotics, right? And with the owner operators perspective of no human entry in confined space, you know, let's and some owner operators at a corporate level making statements, if you, you know, you must put a robot in this confined space. And if you can't, then you have to make a deviation report, which nobody really wants to do those deviation reports. So they'll try every way possible to get a robot in there to keep a human safe. Mm-hmm. So it has to come from top down that this is our corporate mandate that, yeah, I know I can save X amount of dollars for doing film and not paying for them to go digital or whatever, but it needs to be a corporate mandate. No, we are doing digital transformation and we are focusing on quality first. Yes, we may pour pay more now, but in the long haul, we're, we'll be where we're going to be. And I've seen that even with some owner operators that have said, like some 
uh, SP- FPSOs are going to have completely unmanned um, by, I think it was 2024 as well. And I think there is one that's on target, um, but there it creates a completely different design. You don't need bunking quarters if you're going to have a robot that goes back to its charging station, but you are going to need somebody on land that knows what's going on with that robot and knows what's going on with that ecosystem. And that's how I think we're going to draw in that younger generation. So here's a thought that I have. Mm -hmm. Does the robot take jobs? No. Or does it, or does the robot give opportunities for different and more jobs? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I had to give a presentation in November on ASNT on AIML. Taxi cab driver was like, well, there happened to be some bomb thing or something at the train station in Phoenix. And, so it took like two hours to go four miles, you know, basically. And we, we had a good bit of time to talk. And he was, uh, what are you here for? And I was like, oh, conference. Uh, conference. What are you presenting on? Um, artificial intelligence. Oh, he got on his soapbox. Uh, I said, artificial robotics. He says, they're going to take our jobs. We're not going to have anything to do and blah, 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 blah. So the continuance of that conversation happened to be that intelligence, humans, have general intelligence and we can do a lot of dynamic things very easily. Um, and there are opportunities for things to augment things that we find mundane. Like, I don't know the last time I've turned a switch on in my kitchen or in my bedroom, I'll be like, you know, talk to my home assistant. Hey, Google, turn the light on. Um, does that mean I'm not able to go and turn a light on? Okay. Turning on three lights. See, that was, That was good on cue, right? So um, the thing that if you look at what these augmentations are doing to be able to to make us be able to focus on the more strategic things that we can do better than the mundane things that technology can take over. Um, You know, even looking at how you did a, a roller phone dial, you know, get a kid in these generations. They don't know. They just, you know, pull up their contacts. They couldn't even tell you their mother's phone number because it's probably hidden in contacts. Right. So did all of those things take the place of the human? I think not. I think it just kind of allows us to focus on more things and what we have on our plate now versus what we had on our plate 15 years ago, pre-computer, pre-Google, pre-social media, all of that stuff. You know, we needed our full mental capacity because, you know, it was we didn't have those tools. Now we have those tools so we can reappropriate our um, capacity into different realms because the, the, the landscape is changing. Um, you know, the, think of Ford and, you know, if he would have made a, a better horse and carriage, where would we be now? He had to make this line in the sand saying, you know what, technology can help us but we need to do it differently. And that's where, you know, he looked at a car. So I think we're at that same precipice for us here. And the threat of augmented uh, artif- uh, assisted analysis is what I like to call it, not artificial intelligence or auto defect recognition. It's just a augmentation tool. Just think of it like the lane assist in your car. Those tools are going to come. We just embrace them and we, we elevate past them to really – um, take us to the next level. Yep. I don't know if I, I answered that right or uh, if you understood, but for me, I'm very, very passionate about it. it's not. It's not to take the place; it's to augment. And to be honest, if we even don't even have the younger generation coming back to take place <laughs> to backfill, we need to augment. So it, 
it's an exciting time to be in industry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish I could say I was young and coming into it and, you know, it's exciting time to be looking at it. But where I sit, you know, kind of in the middle, it's where we've come from has been really amazing. And where I think we're going is I, I don't have the right words to express it. I'm just excited by what we as, as people, as, as humans are doing in the welding industry and how much better we can become in, in I think a relatively short time frame. Especially if we, we get out of our silos and the imperative part from the whole value chain is to engage and have that same vision. And I don't know who drives that vision, I do, I, but I personally don't believe it's the vendors that need to drive the vision. I think it, that's why my, my company, I focus more on the engagement with the owner operator because at the end of the day, they're not wanting to use NDT. They need the value out of NDT to do what they do best. So if we quit looking at how we make more money in our next generation product design, but we truly put on walk a day in their shoes and say, what is what is it that you're really trying to do? You know, there corrosion under insulation, for example, huge industry problem. You know, give me an NDT method that'll work because, but at the end of the day, I don't care if it's X-ray, I don't care if it's you know what it is, uh, GP. Um, uh, any whatever method you choose, I just want to run my asset, right? That's all they want. So we need to really get on their perspective of how can we collectively as an industry welding an NDT and be at the future when it's when it gets imposed on us. Um, but it's exciting. I, I told that's a, it, like when January last year when my role was being eliminated, they they wanted more of a sales aggressive than business strategy, and I had three different directions to go. One, go back into corporate America and I love it, but um, there's a lot of good things that can happen from a global reach and an impact standpoint, but it's slow and I'm not, I'm, I'm looking at five years and I'm out kind of a thing to my retirement because my better half just retired in September and was like, Hey, let's, let's go to Thailand for six months. Let's go to Switzerland for six. And I'm like, you're done. I'm not. This is probably the most exciting time in my 25 years in this industry. And I really, I, I do believe these next five years are going to be so formative if we have more of these types of conversations and action that follows. Yes. Sorry, you well, get me on my soapbox. I really, I do. I, I, that's why I, I went the risk, you know, to go and start this business is, you know, let's well, stir it up as much as we can. One of the things about construction, fabrication, welding is there's, a lot of passionate people that have a lot of viewpoints and, and it's good and it's healthy because really at the end of the day, if we don't do our jobs well, there's risk to, to infrastructure. There can be risk to people. There's lots of different things that can happen when the attention to detail isn't paid in, especially in building and welding. So there needs to, uh, uh, one of the neat things I love working with the R and D centers for different, places, be it from the owner operator, they have their corporate people that have the innovation mind, right? Then you go to the plant you have a whole different reality that sets in. Um, and then also in the EPCs, you've got the R&D locations where you can play with cool things. But oftentimes when you're in there, you know, the opposing side's not in there at the same time. But I think we need to be doing that a little bit more. I know I went to one the other day and I think your guys were there too, but I didn't know y'all were in the back and I came in the front and 
did what I was going to do and then left. And it's like, no, we need to be at the table more often. Well, Kim, thanks for being with us today. Great discussion. Look forward to carrying it on. Yeah, likewise. And thanks to our listeners for being with us.